Christina Cho, and this is Steam the Podcast, where I get to talk to amazing women and other underrepresented minorities in the fields of science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and the arts, or STEAM, and highlight the brilliant work they do and talk about the ways we can make STEAM truly more inclusive, equitable, and diverse. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, you're listening to part two of Conflict Resolution. We decided to make the episode on conflict resolution a two-parter. Part one was about internal conflict with Kelvia Flores, and part two, the one that you're listening to today, will be about external conflict. On the episode with Kelvia, we talked about the fights we have within ourselves, self-doubt, anxiety, depression, and how small steps forward and maybe a little dance are all you need to really start bringing peace within. If you'd like to have a listen, go to our website at projectsteam.org and click on the link anytime. Today, I'll be talking with Dr. Yunus Yuan, an assistant professor of psychiatry in the Child Study Center at Yale School of Medicine, and together we'll be talking about having difficult conversations and resolving conflict when it arises externally with the people in our lives. Dr. Yunus Yuan is an assistant professor of psychiatry at Yale School of Medicine, a child and adolescent psychiatrist at Yale New Haven Hospital, and parent and family development program at Yale Child Study Center. In addition to her role as assistant professor of psychiatry, Dr. Yuan serves as the associate medical director of the parent family development program at the Yale Child Study Center and as a clinical supervisor and mental health clinical consultant of the Policy Lab to Elevate Mental Health and Disrupt Poverty at the Yale Child Study Center, Yale School of Public Health, and Charles Wayne Community Health Center. Dr. Yuan received her Bachelor of Science degree in Physical Therapy, a PhD in Neuroscience, and her MD from the State University of New York, Buffalo, then went on to complete her residency and fellowship in psychiatry at the Yale Child Study Center Albert Solnit Integrated Adult and Child Psychiatry and Research Training Program. Dr. Yuan has had a prolific clinical and research career, publishing close to 50 scientific research articles and book chapters. Her clinical and research interests range from understanding the role of specific neuroreceptors on the development of neurological diseases like depression, schizophrenia, autism, to community-based education, advocacy, and intervention. In addition, she has received numerous grants, awards, and honors for her work. Dr. Yuan is also the founder and director of Compassionate Home Action Together, Chat Together, where she leads a group of talented Yale affiliates to use drama vignettes as educational tools to promote emotional wellness in the Asian American community. On top of all of her wonderful work here in the States, Dr. Yuan has worked with a filmmaker in Hong Kong to establish a multi-site digital storytelling program in school-age children to advocate intercultural empathy through film exchange. Dr. Yuan is truly a steaminist, combining science, medicine, and art to uplift the voices of the next generation of leaders in medicine and science. Hi, Eunice. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show and welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for the kind introduction and having me here. I'm so excited to share and also to learn. And I thank you everyone who are listening for this podcast. We are so, you're making us so proud to make this talk. Awesome. So I'm I'm like super excited to have you on Steamed, especially for this particular episode. Um, based on what I've read and the work that you do, it's it, your work seems to be geared towards really helping people communicate. You know, people with 
generational gaps or cultural gaps. And I would love for you to take some time to tell our audience what it is that you do and how you use theater and art as a medium for your clinical work. Like, you know, maybe you can spend some time talking about what Chat Together Family Intervention is and the API Trauma Healing Program is. Yeah, sure. So I guess like maybe I, I kind of start with like the calling why I did this. Like I absolutely. I, yeah. So, you know, like it is really a personal storytelling time. Like, um, myself, I, I was a parachute kid when I came to the country, like and 16. And then like I, I realized I experienced a lot of acculturative stress as an immigrant. And, uh, and also I came from a low socioeconomic status family, the first ever college goer in my family and like at that time I was sent from Hong Kong to the United States by myself and then with parents thousand miles away and that's the time it's really challenging and absolutely so, yeah so like, I experienced tons of acculturative stress and now I realize I am a mother of two Asian American son and I also mm -hmm. have my husband who identify himself as Taiwanese American, you know, I realize I have this, um, multiple culture live in me. I have, I speak mm -hmm. multiple languages. I experience another developmental process, like a culturative gap, like, like, you know, like, and how that from point A to point B, it's like a, a life journey or life journey oh, question. I can imagine. Yeah. Right. Like, and, and I realized that like that process, it, it feel with, confusion, a lot of fear, a lot of vulnerability. And I never found myself be able to confront those questions. Mm. And not until the time, like as you like, um, really kindly introduced my background and like uh, my journey, academia journey. Like mm -hmm. I, I thought I always want to do science. I want always want to strive to like to get to this society and try to fit in. Mm -hmm. But the more I try to do that, the more I feel <laughs> I never found a place to fit in. Mm. And, and so that's why it become like a forefront life question for me. And, and especially during pandemic, I'm mm -hmm. sure not many, not only me alone, many people feel that they have question about the identity. Oh, yeah. Being, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Isn't it like for being both Asian and American? And that mm -hmm. question, it really put it to the forefront. And, mm -hmm. and I realized like, um, they really no existing intervention for family, for AAPI, um, children, teenager, young adult, or even parents to really talk about this issue, to talk about what Mm -hmm. identity means and how that impact on our mental health, on our communication, on, on how to have self-compassion to one another. And so mm -hmm. that's why we started chat together. So like, this is the whole story that I yeah, wanted absolutely. to start that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that actually goes really well into what I wanted to ask you next. So like now we know a little bit of the work that you do, like the background, but so what are who inspired you to become a psychiatrist? Like your journey was you got your bachelor's and then you got your PhD. And then there's like a time from your PhD to getting your MD where you did research. So how like how how did you end up where you are now? Yeah, I, I, I guess I, I never plan it. I did not know how to plan <laughs> it. And, and I guess I can, I also, also share with many people too. Like, uh, you know, like you never know where your journey leads you to. You can only. Mm -hmm 
in retrospectively to look behind and try to add the dot together mm -hmm. and um I, what i can say is like my journey is almost like a um intertwined with my immigrant journey as well mm -hmm. you know started as i mentioned as a parachute kid i came in as an international student as a mm -hmm. as a f1 visa for those of the audience who understand like who are immigrant who are almost like an exchange student f1 visa meaning you don't live here as a permanent resident you're here with on renewal status come here just mm -hmm. for study that's how i came and i realized like at that time you know i came from a family who were like you know not really uh financially resourceful my parents sacrificed so much for me to come here and like i started like uh undergraduate to to study a major on physical therapy i i realized i like to help people i like to um understand working with kids i understand that like how social economic status and psychosocial stressors there many of them affect somebody well-being or well uh, mm -hmm. or health per se that started with that little seed and then after graduate from bachelor i i realized i hey like I, as a, as a exchange student, I, I just cannot work in the U.S. It's just so hard to find a job. Can I go back to Hong Kong? Do I go back to, I stay in the U.S., but it is really difficult. I'm, I'm in the, in the middle of multiple pathways. And, and at that time, I realized I was presented as an opportunity to pursue PhD program, mm -hmm. but I have zero research experience i never hold a pipette <laughs> i never know about statistics but i just have the passion to know more about the mind the human brain the mind mm -hmm. and body how it works like with that simple passion concept and i get in the phd program of neuroscience nice. and um and i blossomed it i i i published a lot of paper i love creativity i love the science i have a hypothesis have this experiment to test the to test the idea i love to present i love to share my work and i just loved it and i i i um i graduated with flying colors and and i got offered um uh assistant professor uh, at the state of university at buffalo at that time and so wow. which is unusual from a grad from straight to faculty at that time. absolutely that's very rare mm -hmm. it is rare so like so i was blessed in that way and then because of that um i always interested about medicine but mm -hmm. because of my immigrant journey I, uh, for those of you who are international students, uh, from the audience, like people would know, you know, if for someone who applied to medical school, you need to be permanent resident. That means mm, you need to have okay. a green card as an entrance of medical school. And okay. I, I wasn't, I never was a permanent resident until I got my PhD to prove again, like, immigrant proving yourself to be special need to be special mm -hmm. enough to have the waiver to get the green card and then after that i got it i become a citizen afterward u.s citizen and i i it, it gave me the hope to like oh i can revisit my dream to be like in medicine and that was my mm -hmm. childhood dream at the age of 31 like i was like oh like i you know like part of me i would feel am i too old I might have kids. I'm a woman. I'm a minority woman. I, I keep giving myself excuses, but I feel like, no, mm -hmm. I actually can do it. And I decided to do it. And, and I got in medical school and eventually, like, I think again, take on opportunity. I find myself love 
the brain, the neuroscience, the helping people, kids. I understand. I love human behavior, how, how, um, how the mind and body work. And that explains a lot of your relationship. I love kids and I love to help parents and families. So that eventually mm -hmm. I become a child adolescent psychiatrist. Um, so I think like, again, like for people who might be confused about the career path, like don't feel bad about it because everybody feel the same. I, I, I always feel confused. I always feel <laughs> I'm trying, like, what am I doing next? But that is okay. And that is normal. Yeah. And like thinking about taking on the opportunity that you have presented at you at that time. That's what mm -hmm. I was saying. And follow your passion and dream that you want to do. <laughs> no, I think this is this is great. Uh, you know, we've had uh, most of our guests on the show have been American citizens. So that that immigrant journey, that feeling like an outsider, uh, also just like the legal, you know, um, hurdles that are in front of you to become a citizen or to even get permanent residency status. All of those visas. I mean, I have so many colleagues who are international scientists and every year it's like a it's hard because they have to consider renewing. Can they go back? Are they stuck here? Like there's, there's a lot of challenges that I think people don't think about if you are an American citizen. And um, something I just wanted to plug in a little bit here is that, you know, for immigrants to get citizenship, for immigrants to get, you know, a visa, there are specific routes you can take. And I think for um, a lot of people in the STEAM fields, they do what they call, I think it's the genius grant or genius something where like you have to prove that you're this extraordinary genius, amazing person and you're going to contribute to American society. That's how you deserve to be a citizen. And, you know, that's it. It's I understand why it's there, um, but I also think it's very unfair. <laughs> I think that people want to come to the States for whatever reason they're here. And if they are already part of the fabric of America um, because they're going to school or they're just part of a community or their children and family are here, I don't think you have to prove that you deserve to be an American. <laughs> I think your yearning to be one should be like the forefront, but also... You're already here doing stuff. You were getting your education. You were getting your degree. And for the case of a lot of my colleagues, they're they're contributing brilliant ideas and work into our medical and science field. And so, you know, I hope maybe one day there'll be some reform. This is out of the scope of the, today's conversation, but I really do hope that there's some reform so that people who are already contributing to our society, you know, they don't have to go out and do this crazy amount of work to prove that they're worth keeping in our society, right? So that they have the freedom to, you know, pursue their education, pursue their dreams and, and like be a part of this fabric that is is already happening. It's already weaving as we like just exist together. So anyways, I'll get off my soapbox. So, <laughs> but I'm, it's, I'm really glad that you're sharing your immigrant story because I know that there are going to be listeners out there who are immigrants, who are, or recently became American citizens or are permanent residents, but might have this more of like a third culture approach. Like you're not quite American. You're not quite, immigrant you're not quite you're just like everything and um i know for myself my parents immigrated from korea in like the late late 70s actually early 70s 80s um and you know i'm i was born here and like 
fully American and my parents are very Korean. And, you know, trying to integrate those two identities was challenging um, as a child. Um, and I think I really started to embrace it more as an adult and really understood how to do it. But um, yeah, anyways, this is kind of, we're going to talk a little bit more about this throughout the conversation, but um, I just think it's great to hear your story so that other people know like, hey, I can also be a part of STEAM. I can also pursue my dreams. I can go to school. It doesn't matter what your status is. <laughs> it matters where your heart is and where your mind is at. So everyone be very encouraged. So anywho, <laughs> let's go back. So what what is the type of work you're doing now? Like, I know that you use you know, theater and drama and film to um, as kind of a tool for therapy and education. So how did you start to combine art with wellness and mental health? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. I think like, so I, I am not an artist. I don't have any background for drama or any of that. But mm-hmm. I, I love to collaborate with people who are outside of my field. And I realize like, um, all of this have a common theme here. It's like a creative arts and creative mm-hmm. arts really create a platform that like can connect people using mm-hmm. a personal story and also create a really less stigmatizing media. And I realize, especially in minority family or in including AAPI family, talking about mental health, talking about emotion, talking about trauma, it's just unimaginable. It's so stigmatized mm-hmm. for people to listen, to understand, to talk. And I think creative arts such as theater or graphic novel that we use or filmmaking, it really provide a cathartic experience. They provide you almost like a depersonalized experience. Like you, you're talking about a character in the skit. We're not talking about ourselves, but by the way, we already sharing emotion, talking about this really mm-hmm. controversial and conflicting conversation. So I think it has a really amazing beauty there. That's why mm-hmm. I love to collaborate with people who are good at it. And I learn from them and like we create something innovative together for mental health. That's that's really cool. So today's episode is about conflict resolution, right? It's a skill that everyone really would benefit from having, but it's definitely something that does not come easy or naturally. I mean, at least that wasn't the case for me. Like I had to learn. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> I had to learn through lots. I mean, lots of trial and error, and I'm still learning. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, being a child of immigrants uh, and a first generation American, And there was a cultural and generational gap that made having certain difficult conversations with my parents incredibly challenging. Um, You know, there's like, there are certain things you just don't talk about in the Korean American communities um, and or Korean community and Korean culture. So I think that kind of resulted in me growing up into an adult who wasn't fully equipped to have difficult or uncomfortable conversations, whether it's with peers especially with bosses and employers, someone above me um, and colleagues, right? And so do you have advice for listeners who, like me, uh, may not have all the skills to have difficult conversations, but need and want to be able to have those conversations? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are those are really wonderful questions. That that's something I'm learning and navigating as well. Um, I, I think I think like um as a child adolescent psychiatrist, I, I, I want to use the lens of developmental approach there to to answer the question. I think that, that sure. has some meaning there. So like I, I'm thinking about including myself, like 
like you know we are living in an immigrant family with within this acculturated gap and you know for a child there is a developmental uh relationship that the first ever relationship for a child to form is with our parents right mm -hmm. that's our first bonding our first attachment and we are learning and, and while our parents are heavily influenced from their own parents that how they come parents become adulthood mm -hmm. and that heavily involve a lot of traditional Asian cultural concept in forming this relationship. And, and I, I realized that in recent years, like many of us may not even realize or understand some of this concept. And that can actually contribute to how we form newer relationship when we grow up as an adult, like a relationship mm -hmm. with spouse, relationship for me as a parent, relationship for me, for us as like with our peers, with our supervisor or, or any, anyone else in the world. And, and sometimes like understanding it and knowing the pattern that we, we might be running in our inter mm. interpersonal interaction, it would be really helpful. Like, um, of course, I don't want to generalize here. AAPI is such a broad, heterogeneous, uh, uh, culture here, but some of them, uh, East Asian, Southeast Asian culture, um, family, like they embrace a lot of, um, um, concept of, cause for example, Confucianism or mm -hmm. like talking about they want to maintain harmony. They want to maintain mm -hmm. family harmony. They try to avoid conflict. Mm -hmm. They want avoid confrontation. And that is up as opposed to being assertive, you know, like the harmony mm -hmm. versus assertive, they kind of explain some of us like almost become sometimes being stereotyped that we don't speak up, but that is how we were taught about by our parents. Mm -hmm. That's how our parents are being taught by the grandparents that like mm -hmm. try to keep the harmony. But knowing that we sometimes may be running into that pattern and need to catch ourselves and realizing it, it could be in the way of the conflict of forming new relationship. Another example I'm trying to look at that is um, uh, how we express emotion, for example. Mm -hmm. Many of our the way how we talk and deliver and express our meaning um say at least in my family like we we do not talk like i love you i hug or like <laughs> emotional verbal sharing expressing love and care it could be very different we could be through action through providing services like a little bit gestured would, would show love and care and polite and respect which is how we inherited that skill into how we build a new relationship from our end. So like knowing that and be able to translate that to other people. Hey, like I do this doesn't mean I don't care. You know, like I can, I, you know, talk about that with my, my colleague, uh, who are not Asian. Like, you know, like I, I do this little gesture, meaning I care. Even I don't say <laughs> it, right? Like we just like see like it's nuances that we need to be aware and catch ourselves and be able mm. to understand and express that and, and, and translate that to someone else who may not knowing our experience. Mm, so I see. So I think if I understand correctly, you know, the first step in resolving conflict or building a relationship with someone else as an adult is kind of acknowledging our own patterns of behavior, our cultural background and how that might have influenced the way we communicate and the way we express ourselves. And it starts really from your end of trying to be able to say, hey, you know, you might not understand where this is coming from. So let me explain to you, okay, this is how I process. This is how I express myself. And um, this is what I meant. Like, is that like the first step you think? Is that? 
that, if I understood correctly. Yeah, yeah, that could be that could be one of the steps. And also, mm-hmm. like, also sometimes some people like we running into the pattern without realizing it too. I come mm. I come across that as well. That like, oh, sometimes we feel that like um, that is what we taught for not speaking up and then like oh now i decided to speak up and i realized how anxious i could feel with oh, yeah. what not we are not like trained or learned from like like so i think also have a psychological preparation and telling yourself that like um this is something not my not my parents taught me to but i know i know i need to catch myself and i need to mm. ju- justify it and 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 be able to tolerate that type of anxiety of difference. So like, I think, uh, I think that's one thing would be, would be helpful as well. Not only to a translating it, but also kind of, um, talking that to yourself as well. Mm. Okay. Yes. I, I hear you. So basically it's two steps or two parts or multi parts, but really it's, um, if you haven't been, uh, in an environment where it was okay to confront, it was okay to stand up for yourself or speak up or create conflict. Um, you might feel a lot of anxiety and stress and fear because that's what you were conditioned to do. Like you weren't supposed to do those things. So first deal with yourself, right? Be kind to yourself and say, hey, this is going to be a little hard, but you can do it. And then the second part is, okay, here's the person I'm going to now address. And maybe I need to explain a little bit why I'm speaking the way I am or reacting the way I am so that they understand where I'm coming from. But that's like, I think that's very doable. <laughs> and I think that those are really great. Um, that's some, that's great advice. So then, okay, now let's, let's go like vertical differences, right? So now you have conflict with um, a person and there's a power imbalance, you know, you know, so in the workplace and academia, conflict definitely arises but a lot of times there are power imbalances like mentor versus mentee resident versus attending manager versus employee and i think it's so much harder to address issues when there's a power imbalance so how would you advise someone who is facing conflict with like a superior and what circumstances would you say okay directly confront this person and maybe there are circumstances where you wouldn't do that. Maybe you would go around the conflict. And also, when would it be appropriate to involve a third party? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those are really all good questions. And <laughs> I, I totally like try to come up with like a guideline or step by step. Like, because like, as a psychiatrist, we work with a lot of difficult patients, a lot of patients who have personality and psychodynamic, that, that power dynamic issue. So, um, certainly that, that, that is a way. Um, I'm trying to conceptualize this here and share with everyone. <laughs> so, so one thing, especially dealing with conflict, kind of like meaning two party have different perspective looking, looking on the same issue. There's mm-hmm. a disagreement. And I think the first thing is like know how to not deny it and not to avoid it because our tendency like what we talk about we we love harmony somehow we were taught to be harmony avoid confrontation but like not to avoid it not to deny it and also try to find support as well for people mm. who can understand so we're not dealing it alone i'm sure that okay. similar conflict will apply to other people too that's before you're doing anything um as to answer the question about um 
whether you confront or not, I think that's also make a sound judgment as well. Of course, here I'm not like recommending everyone, oh, we should like just go protest. Go out. Go out protest. <laughs> Guns blazing. No, we're not that, but like we, we mm. always want to find a way to speak up, respect, also assertive. Um, assert our opinion not to the mm -hmm. other extreme that post something on social media and like we, we need to understand the consequences of what we do like that's a spectrum of thing so i want to emphasize that and like can you justify a reason to support your speaking up versus not speaking up because sometimes mm -hmm. not speaking up psychologically there is a cause for that like i want to okay. i want to emphasize that not speaking up you will internalize a lot of absolutely um, yeah a lot of like that's what happened to microaggression right like you internalize a lot of psychological toxic substance in your body and then and, and we were just having like low self-esteem self-doubt and inadequacy that kind of thing like think of a reason that like because like, sometimes like what i said our culture that does not kind of teach us not to speak up what but once we speak up we have the anxiety we need to tolerate be able to mm -hmm. justify that or not talking actually the cost is even more than speaking up mm. yeah so like, we need to kind of like work it up within us first and then i would i would say like uh when we talk some when we manage a conflict there is always a disruption and repair Right. Like can, can imagining the scenario of like, uh, when you manage someone in conflict, there's three outcomes. You can have after some talking, you were back to the normal space, like back to friend again, or maybe there's some repair that like you maybe even better relationship than before because of the talking mm -hmm. or worse. So there will be <laughs> no change, better or worse. So mm -hmm. kind of have some preparation before you even action. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. And then once you do that, like, of course, we are not looking for a shouting match. Like, I think any kind of difficult person or people, they, everyone want to be understood. I'm, I'm trying to introduce a concept, which is really helpful. I all the time manage difficult parents, manage difficult patients. I do that all the time. It's like, um, called mentalization. I, I talk about that in many places. Really, uh, is, how to managing your own emotional state we want to make sure we are calm we are we are firm and calm and i can imagining and empathize hey the other person the pi can you imagine like he or she also manage a lot of financial issue it's not easy to be the boss you don't want to be just complaining and shouting match like putting on to like a, 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 a shouting match you're not but you want to be understanding you want to be regulate your own emotion, be able to do that. And you want to have a one-on-one -on -one respectful conversation mm -hmm. that you want to listen to understand. I care about, I know I value you, you are talking about this, but at the same time, you respectfully assert your point of view. I think mm -hmm. that is important, right? Like you understand at the same time, I want you to understand me as well. And why don't we come up with a compromise meeting each other in the middle? Mm -hmm. So that's like the, the disruption and repair. It takes a lot of preparation. It takes a lot of respect and one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one conversation and exert your point of opinion. Mm -hmm. um, does that help? Like, I think yeah, I, no, I, absolutely. I, I'm processing. Listen, I'm just like putting it in my brain right now. Like Christina. Okay. First, number one, <laughs> talk to yourself. Okay. Go. Okay. Can I handle it emotionally? Like if I say nothing, 
Is it going to hurt me more than saying something? And then I have to be honest with myself. Like, can I hold on to this like emotional burden of being frustrated or angry or hurt versus being anxious to do the confrontation? Right. And then also understanding um, that there are two people there or maybe more than one, but that means there's two perspectives and both of us want to be understood. So giving, being gracious enough uh, and respectful enough to understand that that person has their point of view too. That doesn't negate your point of view, right? So then you're like, okay, I understand you, but now you have to hear me too. And this is what's important to me. Um, And also preparing myself to know that every time I deal with a conflict, it might not be happy-go-lucky. There might be no change. There might be improvement. Sometimes it can just be bad. (laughs) And I think that's very realistic Um, to our listeners. It's really nice. It would be really nice if you can hear, oh, yeah, yeah, just do this and everything will be better. You you will not feel bad. It will be easy and wonderful. But that's just not reality. The reality is, you know, there are multiple outcomes to every scenario. And being aware of those three will also help you be able to soothe yourself you know, at the end, whatever the outcome may be. So yeah, no, I think that's really helpful. I guess the other question is, um, this is more like, okay, so let's say the situation doesn't improve or, um, you know, it's not the most respectful, calm, wonderful conversation. At what point, you know, this is, this is part of the first question, but at what point would you recommend bringing in a third party? Like when, when is it like, okay, you know what? I've done my part. I've tried. I need a third party involved. Like when, when would you recommend doing that? Yeah. Yeah. I I think like what you said, that's the time really need to get the third party involved. Like not only to support and like you did your part, your respectful conversation one-on-one and that will be the time to get support. Someone who may be like, uh understanding it's just like almost like a report for racism or uh, or microaggression you want to report to the authority to get more Mm. help or to Mm -hmm. get more help from other other peer support to to uh to support you so you don't feel alone and then Mm -hmm. and many of this conversation like because i i think the one-on-one respectful conversation you did your part already i think like that's the next step you don't want to not doing something i think that's the time to get the third party help okay okay so you know, just to reiterate, like you've done your part, you've done the one-on-one, you've had the conversation and things aren't improving. It's it's fine to ask for help. I think this is something a lot of people in STEAM have a hard time doing is asking for help because we're taught to be independent. We have to be like, yeah. you know, it's our work, it's our thing. That's fine. You are independent, power to you, okay? But there are times when you need help and there are times when you have to go to the authorities. There are times when you have to go to HR and get that support that you need to resolve the issue at hand. So we're, we're kind of touching on this a lot. So I want to dive in a little bit more, but what about the general feeling of like powerlessness and con- like, you know, contradicting that to self-advocacy? I think some of our listeners, including myself, have felt or feel like they might not have enough authority or power to advocate for themselves at work or at school. Um, especially if they are an underrepresented minority, right? Is there a way someone can build their confidence, you know, so that they can advocate for themselves properly? 
Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that uh, also apply to myself as well. And I think we need to remind ourselves: no one is born to know how to advocate. It, it really, <laughs> it really is a um a, a practice make perfect um kind of exercise thing, right? Like um, I think one thing is like in our mind we sort out a big vision about what is the pros and cons about advocating yourself, right? Like what we mentioned, mm-hmm. if we don't advocate, it pay a big price and internalize so many of this difficult feeling. It's not only for ourselves, but also for so many people who may have similar experience or mm-hmm. may have your, um, even as a parent, like our next generation, your mentee, your student, your, your, your child will model that and become a cascade perpetuate cycle over and over again. So we need to break the cycle. I think like that we, we do, we not only like helping ourselves, but also helping so many people behind us. And also like, like what I said, like advocating for self, it, it takes practice this because because it takes the anxiety that like not only like you worry about you speak up and then you you cope with the anxiety but Mm -hmm. over time as you get more comfortable to do it and like and actually it worked the several times that it worked people well received and actually become a feedback positive reinforcement you feel less Mm -hmm. and less you'll feel less and less anxious when you're doing yeah and so yeah i think i think that is like i I practice make perfect thing and also like make the meaning about that is also helping others in the culture in the Mm -hmm. workplace and that you are not alone and and sometimes like try to think about what is holding you back for not advocating and try to get Mm. try to get help on 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 supporting you about what are the, what are the nuances holding you back that can also build mm-hmm. uh build confidence and 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 get a peer support group after this like we can do a little debriefing you know this is my story <laughs> of advocating myself and then like yeah. you know have a little group to talk about that what could be better what can be done better what can be more supportive like have it make it more like a uh open conversation and mm. i think that would be really helpful to build you know the the, the resiliency in the process yeah mm, that's some, that's great advice yeah pack Practice makes perfect. You know, I had a professor back in college who said that that adage, the practice makes perfect, is is uh, misleading. He said, perfect practice makes perfect. <laughs> um, but, but, I, but, I, but I think the main point is that, um, you know, you have to at least take the first step. It might not be, the first time might be really hard. You might have a lot of mixed feelings about it. But with every time you do it, you will get different types of feedback and every positive reaction you get, it's going to help you build that confidence, you know, and it'll help you feel more powerful with each approach and each time. Um, now I'm going to flip this, like I'm going to flip the script a little bit. So how, if you are now in the position of power, okay, so you are in the position of power and now you have to deliver the not so great news or maybe you have to like lay someone off or something not so fun. So how can you uh, be a good boss, mentor, manager, and be able to point out something that's not so positive, you know, that might hurt someone's feelings? How would you do that in a conducive, effective way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's also difficult to, you know, like uh, my leadership style is more like a, uh, a co-op style. I like okay. to see strengths into people first. You know, that always sometimes need to deliver bad news, but I want to see strengths. 
I want to uh, validate each other feelings that like I care about you. I know that is so difficult. That's validation is so important. Everyone like to be heard. Like everyone like to be understood. You know, this is incredibly difficult. I think that's also bring up a concept of mentalization, thinking into each other's shoes in a non-judgmental way while like you know i need to lay off like i know this job is so important for you if i were in your shoes like i i would be devastated you know that is something you have been such a great worker you, you you're really helping your your strengths like so much to bring up to the table i really appreciate what you can do have been doing for us and i also know that it is an incredible difficult decision from what i can share like I do financially, I do need to have this difficult decision, but I can help, you know, like this conversation, like you start with positive, validating at the same time, you also deliver the bad news. And then at the end, you still have some positive thing. Like I'm willing to help. We are in this together. Mm. I'm, I'm happy to referral for you for any kind of resources can help you at this point. But I wow. know, okay. I know I need to do this. I'm sorry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so like, okay. So I understand. That's really, that's good. <laughs> My husband likes to call it the shit sandwich. Um, <laughs> you put like the nice, the shit, and end with the nice. <laughs> is that kind of what that is? Did I, is that like a nice summary of that? Or is that too too crude? <laughs> it's a crude one, but like we can frame it a better way. But <laughs> in the practical. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think basically it's like, you know, you want to show appreciation and have respect and understand and empathize with the person you're sharing the bad news with whilst being firm and being able to express your side too. So I think basically in any, any, conversation where there might be a not so fun topic you you want to make sure that you're kind to yourself and understanding of your limitations and your feelings and your expectations but also as you say mentalize the other person's pers perspective as well so that when you do deliver the news you can do it in a more effective way because now you're thinking okay if I'm that person how would I receive this if I'm that person how would I react and if you consider that you might start to come up with a strategy that is actually more effective in having the person hear you out, right? Yeah. So I, yeah, if I understood correctly. Yeah. Um, so I'm learning so much today. Uh, I am like now a super pro at conflict management <laughs> and resolution. I can go out into the world and talk to anyone. Um, okay, but I think I just want to take a little bit of a, a moment here to talk about programs and institutions. Um, and how I think it'd be really helpful if they had workshops teaching people how to deal with conflict. Oh, yeah. Because I think in STEAM, there's this emphasis on just focusing on the work, on your research, on your engineering, on your art, or whatever it is. Like there's this idea that your whole mental like capacity, your emotional capacity has 100% be focused and fixated on the work in front of you without considering that there's so many social emotional things happening in the background sometimes in the forefront that impact your ability to focus and do work so um do you have any words of advice or suggestions to programs and institutions and companies on maybe how they can start you know helping their people navigate conflict and manage it yeah, yeah, that's a difficult question, but I do have similar immediate thought about that, um, about chat together because mm -hmm. chat together is the program using theater to really addressing conflict in the family. 
And we do have vision to expand chat together using the theater format to address, um, you know, um, in medical education, especially yes. like cultural dilemma, something really awkward, conflict, but never have a place to talk and act out. And so we have a plan to um, expanding that in, in similar situation like that in a conflicting, awkward, even cultural dilemma situation. And we turn it into a skit and act it out in a problematic scenario. And then we have usually follow with a solution, a more healthier conversation we can carry out with the same scenario. And we can have discussion, have different party involved to talk about how can we make things better. So that that that's something um, um some new program we're doing. Actually many, many, um many institutional business programs, they use improv mm -hmm. improvisation to to uh, as um uh, for, for HR training for employee to understand the power dynamic from the acting because acting and theater itself, it actually carry a medium for people who feel, you know, less defensive. They break down the barrier and be able to talk, to act out mm -hmm. and especially something very conflicting scenario. So I think that could be a really good program to start. And I'm so excited to expand to this too. Yeah. I think that's, I think your program would apply in so many different scenarios where there might be conflict or power imbalances or you know um, gaps in understanding and whether it's cultural or economic or basically it's when two people are on different sides right and they have their own perspectives and I would love to see that expansion and maybe one of these days we can have like a steamed workshop using yeah. chat together and we can have this like crossover that'd be so cool that would be so cool yeah yeah well Eunice it's been an absolute pleasure and I really have learned a lot so much today and like um to our listeners you know I hope what you've learned from this episode is that you know, there are ways to handle conflict. And it, it almost seems like we've simplified it to a couple of steps, but it really does start with some um, time with yourself. You know, think about what it is that's bothering you. Think about how it's affecting you. And then ask, you know, can you handle speaking up versus not speaking up? What are the costs there? And then asking yourself, can you accept the outcome? Because the outcome could be no change, better or worse. And Will you be able to handle those things? And if you really feel that, you know, you might not be equipped to handle it by yourself, ask for help. You have advocacy groups, you have peers, and sometimes with certain things, certain topics, you might have to go a little bit higher and talk to the authorities or talk to program directors. And that's okay too. Um, but there are ways to deal with conflict. There are ways to manage it. And it does start with you talking to yourself. And then the other key part is, as you know, Dr. Yan was talking about mentalization, is also providing space for the other person to, you know, kind of empathize with them and think about their perspective so that it helps you come up with the right words and phrases and nuances to make sure that your message is delivered to the other person. So um, for more resources and our directory of Steamonists, which now include Eunice, please check out our website and see you all next week. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Happy and, listening. Uh, Steam the Podcast is brought to you by RSS.com. We're produced by Brian Kelly and Christina Cho with help from T. Badri, Naomi Phillip, Emily Chu, and Sandhya Pabakaran. Our engineer is Brian Kelly at Echo Station Studio, and original music is by David James Pugo. 
If you like Steam the Podcast, please share it with your friends. Let them know that they can subscribe to Steam the Podcast on RSS.com community, the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Amazon Music, Samsung Podcast, Podcast Index, and Listen Notes. For resources and our directory of Steaminists, check out our website at projectsteamed.org. Thanks for listening and see you all next week. 